Hi, welcome to Praise Dionysus. Praise him. Praise him. <laughs> uh, today we're going to be talking about The Return by John Harvey at the Malthouse Theatre. We're going to be talking about Dracula by Wesley College. And we're going to be talking about Maureen, Harbinger of Death, written and performed by Johnny Hawkins. Uh, thanks for listening in. Looking forward to chatting to you. Hello, sound less scared. <laughs> Hello, Hi. James. Hi, Jake. How are Hi. you? Fine. I'm fine. How are you going? I'm great, actually. That's fantastic. Yeah, we had a week off. We had a week off. Oh my we god, had a holiday. No, it was really not a holiday. Not Did a holiday. it feel like a holiday for you? Not even slightly. No. Oh, good. No, no. Good. Worth it then. Yeah. No. Sorry to anyone that. If you missed us, <laughs> and I can't blame you if you did. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just like, you know, James's schedule is weird and I'm in a mm-hmm. show, so yeah. it was just... Sure. Anyway, here we are, <laughs> we're back, exciting times. Jake, your hair's pink. It is, yeah, 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 if you guys are trying to picture this, yes, my hair is pink, we're both sitting Jumper's on... also pink. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like this is a drum roll leading up to a real cataclysmic insult. No, no, I love pink, I think you look great. Great, great. I only recently discovered this song called Pink by Aerosmith. Aerosmith? I know Janelle Monet. I know that the dullest thing in the world is to listen to people talk about music they like. Um, but <laughs> you can fast yeah, forward this bit this, if you want. Oh my god, yeah. A song? It's is it a great song? I really like it. It's kind of stupid, but it's just like him... It's just like... Is it Steven Tyler? Who's the lead singer from yeah, Aerosmith? I have no idea. But I thought like, Aerosmith was just like one man. It's really just like... A li- the song itself is this like sexy just sort of like list of things that pink is. <laughs> Pink is cool, pink is sexy, pink is great. Sort of. And oh. then by the end, he does kind of almost run out of stuff. <laughs> One of the lyrics is like, pink, it's like red, but not quite. <laughs> yep. But it's a really good song. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> here we are. Mm. Um, um, so how's your week been? What's your rating out of five stars? Well, are we going to do the week or are we going to do the fortnight? I guess do the fortnight. It'd be weird to neglect that one like, sliver of time in our yeah, lives. So. Rate the fortnight out of five Jesus. stars. Well, out of five stars, uh, it's been good actually. I've just been, yeah, working, uh, uh, work has been good. It's been busy. I've not got a lot of exciting things to say. I went to a, um, an, a lecture about an artist, mm. which is quite nice. Yeah, uh, I went to see some shows, which you'll hear about later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and beyond that, I've just been spending time with my partner, which has been lovely. I'm Flynn, s- my boyfriend, Flynn. getting it out of the Oh, yeah. congratulations. Thank you so much for After being a times. spinster for so long, yes. you finally have a man. Yes, it is very nice to no longer be the evil step-aunt. It's mm. nice to be the beautiful stepdaughter. Uh-huh. Um, so that's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> it's an allegory that I have decided works for me. Yeah, okay. Um, so I give my week, I, Fortnite, I guess I would give it like... 27 stars. Okay, good number. It's a good number. My brain is still mentally stuck back on beautiful stepdaughter. I'm the beautiful stepdaughter with the beautiful partner. Okay, mm. but it's just, you say that as if it's like, that is a figure from literature, which outside of the Brady Bunch, I don't think it is. Cinderella. Where's the beautiful stepdaughter? She's the beautiful stepdaughter. Right, she is the... a stepdaughter. Yes, yeah, she, she is technically a stepdaughter to her stepmother. Right, because I guess I've always come at it through Cinderella's eyes. And, and no so... one should do that. Why not? Because Cinderella's dumb. <laughs> she she didn't go to school. Stupid bitch. <laughs> she's a stupid bitch. Why do you think she's dumb? Well, I, just, I, I think she wouldn't have gone to school. They she didn't... does seem to be mentally peers with those mice. <laughs> <laughs> The mice! Oh, the mice. I forgot the mice about the mice. Who in the Disney cartoon version occupy too much screen time. Well, I was going to say, in the musical version, they were barely in it. They weren't even in it. I in think the, they just... In the Rodgers and Hammerstein one you just saw. Yes, yeah, they were just They were horses. Barely. Well, that's how it should be. They should just be things that like turn into... Horses. James A. Caster. Yeah, that's all they should be. 
he was alongside James Corden in the Camila Cabello Cinderella. Oh, sure. Okay. But yes, no, they shouldn't be like beyond the mice, like the, the, the non-anthropomorphic mice that just get turned into servants. <laughs> right. They're the only mice that we need in that story. I think if anything, the, is it like a fox and a, and a raccoon or something that turn into like the driver and the... I think person. that's only in the version you just saw. Oh, they needed more time. They didn't have enough time. They needed they were give, needed to be given more time. Sure. Mm. Well, that's a credit to whomever they were. But no, I think in every other version I've ever heard, it's just like mice and it's just yeah, mice. It is a pumpkin weird. And they a bunch had of mice and stuff. Um, but that was my week, Jake. Twenty-seven right. stars. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Sorry, just to end that's Deb on a couple no, sex. <laughs> How about you? Yeah, so Cinderella and Marsha Brady. And that's the end of the list of beautiful stepdaughters. Um, yeah. Anyone yeah. listening who is a stepdaughter and is beautiful, you're on that list, baby. Uh, of, of course. That's some real fan service. You've uh-huh. done that. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, uh, my week. Yeah, your week. My fortnight. fortnight. My fortnight. I, the game. Out of five stars, I will not talk about <laughs> Fortnite the game with okay, you. Because I barely know what it is. It's the one where they dance. It's the only time I've started to feel out of touch with young people. Is when people started doing dances from Fortnite. Fortnite dances. I'm like, oh, I don't, I'm not in it anymore. And that's, you know, something I've come to terms with. I th- I'd say it's a credit to you that that didn't then push you in the direction of wanting to, you know, desperately, clamorily, like, find out what it was and then start doing the dance on the internet. I think, here's a quick sidebar. I think part of it is that I don't have TikTok and I haven't had TikTok for a long time. Mm. I think if I was still deep in the TikTok train... I, I, I think I would be sucked in a little bit more to it. Sucked into wanting to be part of yes. Generation Z. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, because I'm not on TikTok at all. I just get the trickle-down memes on, like, Instagram Reels and Facebook. But it would, it would evoke inside of you a desire to participate with them? I think it would definitely just... evoke a, a desire to be in the know. And to sort of know oh, where okay. all the references were and where they were from and sort of be able to joke with young people. Mm-hmm. You know? Okay. But as I get older, that gets more and more creepy. <laughs> that's our conversation about Fortnite. <laughs> um, my Fortnite with a G mm-hmm. and with no dancing, <laughs> the way the mayor of Footloose Town would have it, <laughs> um, uh, was good. I get out of five stars, I'd give it like a hundred and four. I think. Wow. Yeah. Well, um, because it's just largely just been like rehearsing and now staging this play that I'm in, which is also called five stars it's called five stars which fits neatly into this little segment so it feels like you should have given it five stars well Jake. it does seem like a wasted opportunity yeah, but that's, that's what right. i love doing to opportunities wasting them <laughs> mm. how controversial yeah <laughs> wow uh, yeah but yeah so it's just been like obviously like th- that special type of exhausting that it is and it's all the unique things it is as it is with any piece of art that you make but it's mm-hmm. um yeah at this point feeling like yeah rewarding and perplexing but it's also you know, as you know, and as I'm sure a lot of people listening to this know, like it's hard to tell what you're feeling while a while piece you're of, in it. while you're in it mm-hmm. and it's happening to you. Um, to to like with this show, like to quite a unique extent, because it, it with the subject matter being what it is, so it's like okay, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was like leading up to the show opening, it was yeah, um, yeah. A load on the mind, and now that it's in front of people's faces, it's a whole different. It's a load on their faces. It's a load on their faces, yeah. which is how I always want my art to feel. Yeah, just it a, does. A real facial cum explosion. Okay. Of, what? You didn't I didn't want say to cum. I wasn't referencing cum. Oh well. Mm, um, yeah. No. Yeah. So um, no, it's been fantastic, and you know, any time spent making theatre. Yeah, and actually yeah. being in the theatre, doing the theatre, that part, fun. Yeah. Good so, stuff. That's been nice. And yeah, it's just nice to, you know, talk to people in four years and, you know, have conversations about art and whatnot. I have never heard you say it's fun to talk to people in four years. Only in this instance because of the people that have been coming to the show and the conversations I've had with them. Right, okay. Yep. Like, yeah, of course, generally speaking, four years, disasters. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the, the conversations I've had with people after this show has been 
largely like really really wonderful great so, yeah so you gave it 107 stars i did wow yeah that's new folks it's a lot of stars yeah, yeah. um but yeah, do you want to talk about some theater oh, oh i mean i guess we might as well i'm twisting your arm go twisting on it twist it yeah. baby oh twist. ow <laughs> yeah <laughs> my arm <laughs> let's do it hi jake hello james <laughs> here we are yes Talking about theatre. Yes. Start again. <laughs> no, let's keep going. What's... <laughs> okay, right. Um, I went to the Malthouse Theatre. Okay. A few, uh, like two, like uh, on the first week of this fortnight, just gone. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. Okay, everyone, everyone <laughs> find a way to somehow connect the dots necessary yeah. to date that correctly. It was a day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we went. I went to see uh, the Return. Okay. The Return, uh, written by John Harvey, mm-hmm. directed by Jason Tamaru. Mm-hmm. Um, and also partly inspired by Jason Tamaru's uh, life as a reparation worker. Which cool. Is, you know, fun fact. Okay. Um, so I uh, went along to see it. I was by myself. Mm-hmm. Sat on down. Wandered in. It's yeah. in the main... Is it the Merlin Theatre, the main one? Isn't the Merlin the one off to the... No, yeah, the main... The is middle the, one, in the, the big middle one. Big middle one the is Beckett Merlin. Is the Beckett's little the little one. one. And then there's the tower. Yes, and yeah. it was in the Merlin. It was in the big boy. Great. So yeah, so I went into the Merlin. In we went. Mm. Uh, you keep saying we and then correcting yourself. Were you alone I or was not? Alone. I was alone. I was alone, but I also ran into a friend while I was there. Oh, okay. But they sat like up in the rafters behind me and I sat like down at the very back of the stall so we okay. could sort of like look look cutely up at each other it was very sweet that sounds nice it was very nice yeah um first thing I'm just gonna get out of the way did you find sometimes audience members don't know how the alphabet works <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I like how you're trying to drag me into what will ever, like end up being just another James insult. slams an audience <laughs> member. <laughs> but Jake, you agree, and right? And also delicately presented. Jake, do you ever find that this this funny thing sometimes happens where someone's a complete fucking idiot? <laughs> you're on board, right? No, no, I just mean mm-hmm. I saw often like people like, where's D? It's like it's after A, B, and C. Just, just. James, follow I'm, the alphabet upstairs. I am always this person in these sorts of conversations no. that other people try to instigate. I get so anxious when trying to find my seat or to find anything inside of a venue, especially an unfamiliar one. So I will always advocate for people not knowing the alphabet, for not knowing which way is left. I totally okay. get the thing right. of like okay. not being able to take in no, new information. No, I understand like, not knowing which end of the row to go in from. That's fine. Let's not know where James, the numbers are. Okay, even if, right, if, even if my three side. ushers have been like, B is the second row from the front. I will ask every usher I pass wow. to clarify that that's where B this, is. This, uh, this is something about you I never knew. I think I've been burnt once before. I remember... Like, by the alphabet. By the usher. Like oh. way back in... I can't remember what show I was seeing, but I asked... Where, it was like row D or something. Like, where's row D? And she was just like, it's after row C. I was like, oh. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, what, and hearing the, that, that that feeling of cruelty has made you grow up a bit. No, it's just like, <laughs> you're absolutely right. It is after C. Oh, you know, I'm on her side. That's a cunty thing to do to a She person. ripped me down and I've built myself back up. Oh, that's good. You're like J-Lo. You know that speech she recently gave that I've only heard people talk about because I, I don't care enough about Jennifer Lopez to actually watch the speech. But apparently she got, I think, like a lifetime award at the Grammys. Mm-hmm. And she like devoted a lot of the speech to like... Thanks to everyone who fucking hates me because you're the reason that I tried so hard. I'm like J-Lo. You're like Jennifer I am Lopez. like J-Lo. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, who I always forget J-Lo is short for... Jennifer Lopez. Jennifer Lopez. I was about to say Jennifer Lawrence. Different one. Um, <laughs> I don't know who celebrities are. Wait, so you really aged in a fashion that meant that you experienced J-Lo before knowing who Jennifer Lopez was? Because there was this period where she decided to become J-Lo. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I've, not, I've not been close enough to either J-Lo or Jennifer Lopez to really... 
So you no. started, I guess, hearing music around the yes. time of Love Don't Cost a Thing. Which is a song I do not know. But mm, yes. Interesting, interesting, yep, interesting. Yep, 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 yep. So the return. Oh. Uh, <laughs> in I go. Wait, wait, what's your first Jennifer, like, favourite Jennifer Lopez movie? I could not tell you a Jennifer Lopez movie. Really? Um, she's in Hustlers? She's, yeah. I didn't see it, but I know she's in Hustlers. <laughs> How is that an answer to that question? I don't know any movie she's in. <laughs> What's your favourite J-Lo movie? I know she's in Hustlers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know any other movie she's in. And you've seen none of them? Uh, potentially, I may have. I just don't remember. You didn't see Monster-in-Law? Nope. Jane Fonda is a monster-in-law? Jane Fonda? <laughs> Jane Fonda? I hardly know her. Ah! Uh, I know you're Fonda, Jane Fonda. Ah, oh, distance makes the heart grow Jane Fonda. It does! Very good. Anyway, so you saw The Return. Saw The Return. Uh, in we go. Um, yeah, written by John Harvey. So, mm. in we plop. First things first, uh, Zoe Atkinson. Set designer? Fucking nailed it. Oh my god. Like, I was just... In that she used nails to put it together. She used nails, I assume. Yes. Um, you walk in, and it was like this... It felt as if someone had... Like, God had taken a big cup and just gone to the country and shoved the cup upside down on the ground and scooped out a bunch of earth mm. and put it on the stage. Oh, cool. It was like this hill. This the hill with, like, a very clear defined border all the way around mm-hmm. that just sort of sloped up towards the back of the stage. And I, I, I mean hill. It was, like, a real steep incline. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, like, covered in, like, um that tan bark, that safe rubbery tan bark stuff you use in playgrounds. Mm-hmm. But it just looked like a dirty hill. Cool. And it was so beautiful because it was just, you walk in, there was a soundscape of like the Australian outback and this hill. And it was just immediately so much larger than life. I don't know. It just really made me immediately feel, oh my God. <laughs> like, 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 have you seen the show with like a set like that, that is like that sort of atmospheric immediate, wow, this is something. When I'm thinking hills, thinking hills. I'm thinking I didn't see it in person. I saw a lot of photography of it, but there was a production of I think a Stephen Sewell play where I forget. I think it was set at war. I feel like I don't know the specifics. It's in, set in a war. Set in a war. Right, okay. I think I should know more details than this. But I've seen beautiful photos of the set. I don't know who designed it. But it was designed to look like a sand dune. Oh, yeah. And it was this just really stunning sand dune. And someone told me that the way that they... Because it even had, like, you know, the ripples that sand gets when wind blows mm. across it? They they achieved that by making it out of pool noodles. And then just ah! like, sand over the top. So that was... That's, that's amazing. A little, a little backstage tidbit. Um, mm, yeah. For a show yeah. we don't really know. <laughs> no, but I... Yeah, otherwise, whenever someone says hills, I just go straight to productions of Happy Days that I've seen. The Beckett play... Not the the musical based on the TV series. Yeah, good. I was about to ask. I was yes. about to ask. The Happy Days that doesn't have the Fonz in it. <laughs> oh, the worst one. Yes. Hey, I'm the Fonz, is I think what he said. Yeah, that's. I believe that's his thing. I've seen truly maybe one third of an episode of Happy Days. You've seen more than me. Yeah, well, I win then. Have you ever seen Happy Days, the no. Beckett play on stage? No, no, I haven't. No. No. Okay, sure. No, no, no. But this hill, amazing. Yeah, great. And it was big. Like, it was in, in that space. It took up, like, a... Most of the stage. Mm-hmm. And that stage is quite large. Uh, and around that, it had, around the hill, train tracks. Okay. Which had a working little train. Like, two little... How like, big was the train? Well, okay. So, th- there were three things that went on the train tracks. This is... <laughs> I won't get into it too much, but mm. two of them... Because the whole premise of the show is... It weaves across three different storylines. And it's all about reparation of um, First Nations bones and artifacts and things that are like kept in the bowels of museums mm-hmm. and like it's all about why they shouldn't be there obviously yeah um so it's weaving these three stories one of them is 
uh, a museum curator and sort of like her journey of being a First Nations person and also being the curator for a First Nations exhibit. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is the storyline of like an 1800s or an early night, late 1800s bone collector. Okay. Like, a, like a, a man who goes around like st- d- grave robbing the bones from ah. these indigenous bury sites, burial sites, specifically uh, indigenous burial sites. Yes, because it was all about like um, phrenology and sort of like this right. is the skull of a of an aborigine. Look at this, and oh. it was just, like real. Like the whole show was pretty dark, really, okay. really grim. Quack quack, quack quack. <laughs> and the third storyline, and the one I think most inspired by the director's life as a reparations officer, was a reparations officer hmm. um, going around. They all sort of weave together this story of one particular person's bones in um, who had been dug up and collected and then found and kept in the museum and then sort of r- taken in by the reparations officer. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the premise of the show, sort of weave between those storylines. All of that is to say there was a little train and one of the storylines was like the uh, First Nations people exhibit. Mm. And it was sort of like this... I couldn't quite tell if it was some sort of purgatory or some sort of... Um, I don't know what it was, but it was like people who were First Nations being dressed up in their, like, traditional garb and standing on these plinths. Mm. And two of the little things that went on these train tracks were these white plinths that they would stand on and then get moved around on the train tracks. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then the third thing was, like, a little train cart that came along when they needed it. Well, so I'm still can't picture... How big is the train? So it's 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 big enough for a person to stand on. Yeah, two of them aren't trains. They're, like, white, flat plinths like and these things are going around on a train on track. a train track right and the things yep. are of a size and heft that can support a person and also one of them has like this collapsible table that comes up it's, like, okay. it's an amazing set right so that's set aside mm. amazing um but yeah the the actual the i was saying about cinderella not dark and gritty enough mm-hmm. this bloody this made up for it because oh. this it was i mean obviously with the subjects that it was it was so it felt like watching someone's nightmare. Like it was so... How did they achieve the feel of a nightmare? It was... I mean, the set itself was ominous and spooky. But then like the lighting, um, Paul Jackson was the lighting designer. And the sound design was Jethro Woodward. It felt like the sound design was in, was one of those soundscapes where it sort of felt like it was inside your eardrums thumbing. Like mm-hmm. this deep hum the, almost the whole time. Mm. Um, there was a lot of um, uh, traditional like clapsticks and um, traditional vocalizing as well, which because it is, I don't know, the nature of the storytelling that those voices do, it is quite sort of otherworldly. And it sort of like took you out. It really worked. It just felt um, spooky as fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And also, I mean, the subject matter that it was watching it, I think I don't want to. I don't want to say too much without giving the storyline away. Mm-hmm. But watching the storyline unravel, it became quite apparent that this we were watching basically like a generational nightmare, um, and that was just I, I. I love a spooky, spooky show, Jake. I love a spooky show, and this right. delivered for me. Um, yeah, no, you mm. are into spooky because oh. you you have a much more patience for people trying to attempt like horror and whatnot. On yep, stage. absolutely, I do. I don't. Yeah. You don't. You're why? Why are you not a fan of horror on stage? Um, I think it's capped at where like reality splinters off. Like, I think it's certainly a specific type of horror, I suppose. But when it comes to horror that relies upon you believing that someone's in danger, I think theater struggles mm. to convey much of the tension that comes with that threat, just right. by virtue of seeing that the person's in front of you and there's not a chance that they're in any sort of physical danger, yeah. even with suspension of disbelief, sure. the awareness that you're watching a performance occur is like, I, I'm pretty sure they're not going to get shot in the face. <laughs> and I think that's, that's a really, really good point. Because watching this one, I think part of the reason the, the 
more terrifying elements of it worked is because the story they were telling is real. Mm. And like um, the reparation side of things and just the, the watching the reparation officer have to go through the shit that she has to go through to just mm. to see the bones mm. this, this person's offering up. And like the... It, it, I think it worked because it's, it's a real horror. It's like a real... And watching it happen on like Australian land is just like, mm. oh God. I mean, it is so... It was just deeply uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. Um, and I think they really, really pulled it off. And it ends with like a really... I think it, it succeeded in ending with a really beautiful, hopeful note um, that, that didn't just leave you feeling... Like it was just a trauma porn story, mm-hmm. you know. Like it, it felt like it had. Here is the situation. Here is the through line, and here is what we can do to start making up for it. Oh, like sure. It had, it, like, it had all of that. Wait, what sort of call to action did they provide you with? Oh, basically, just the story of reparations and how that. I mean, obviously, needs to happen, but also like it had like um, the through the through line story of the one person set of bones in particular were eventually given up. To reparation and, and return to the land. Mm. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, okay. In terms of the theater itself, being yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's so interesting. The way that that seems because I I've never heard a story told like that in the theater at least mm. surrounding indigenous people. Mm. I think I've just been exposed to in the last two years or so a surprise. I, maybe either it just became suddenly trendy or something. But I feel like a number of times fairly lately, I've seen a lot of stories about. World War Two and like the pillaging that happened there, and oh, sure. and and Jewish artifacts and like the, the the art and the furniture of of Jewish people getting taken away and the gradual return of those things or the yeah. the, the, the journey that those artifacts have gone on has been because there was that Joanna Murray Smith play and mm. then there were other ones whose names that I've forgotten but it seems like in ways that some people which I get I think. Like a critique of those sorts of stories that I've heard a lot about when talking about these pieces that I've seen. It's interesting that when telling a story of the Holocaust, to to tell a story about it today and to shift the focus onto material goods is... I don't know. It's a. It, it, some people see it as a, almost like a cold way to perceive it. It seems dehumanizing. Gonna, a little, but... Yeah, but I guess in a lot of ways, as you know, time keeps proving, like segments of society and, and history and... Like, the, the, the history... And I don't know what this play said about this. Yeah. Um, but so much history and... Like, exists in the physical artifacts of that history as well. Totally. Right? And, and so, and to I have think... that taken away is almost like... Yeah. Well, that was one of the... That that was one of the things they sort of discussed in this show was... Like, one of the arguments that for keeping them in the museum was... They are objects. They are, like, things that need to be looked after and kept under specific circumstances to preserve their integrity. Mm. Um, but a lot of the argument for the reparation was they're the bones of our ancestors like mm. they're they're people they need to be given back so it was it's, inter- it's interesting you say that because that was one of the huge arguments they were having was mm. like do we keep these as objects as artifacts or do we treat them as as people as as ancestral remains yeah yeah so oh, that's so interesting it was it was really interesting um, mm. i really yeah really i fucking loved it um yeah that relationship with with how to treat because uh, I don't know that that almost leads you know like a, in a micro sense even just in the direction of how we deal with death like with death as different mm. cultures or but like yeah to totally think of the idea of the way in which we engage culturally with history and and uh, I don't know the the idea that museums to a lot of people are considered to be the ideal place to plonk things from the past yeah um, but to so many people especially outside of like the Western realm that isn't seen as the obvious thing to do yeah especially with things that don't belong to you. Um, so it's cool that people, especially now, are interrogating these things. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was presented. It wasn't presented in a way that was sort of like, this is the cut and dry thing to do. There was a conversation of like, if you give these bones up to like the our, our scientific team, we can like look at what your ancestors. We can find out what they ate. We can find out how they lived. We can do all like all these things. And there was like a genuine conversation about it, which I I thought was quite interesting. Mm. Um, yeah, quick shout out to uh, Layla Thacker as the museum curator. Okay, just. You know when someone comes onto a stage as like, I think you've spoken about it uh, as like a powerful woman in like a in a like a power suit yes. running the business. Mm-hmm. It was that just uh. the whole thing. She's like, <laughs> you go here and you go here, and I've got to direct this museum. It was magnificent. Fantastic. So she really nailed that role. <laughs> um, Joni Banny was a bunch of. There was one of the sort of shows where a lot of people wore a lot of different hats. Yeah. Uh, and Joni Banny was uh, at one point. A photographer that was brought in to photograph the First Nation exhibit um, uh, people, and it was just the most ridiculous. Like, come on, get the music going. We gotta get the photos. Get them with the didgeridoo. Get them with this. Get them with that. It was great. Oh my god. Um, and he played a bunch of other roles. He also played the bone collector, which was, um, yeah. So the cast was incredible. It was just a really good show, Jake. Oh, good. Yeah. Good to see one of those. Good to see. I hope it returns. Oh. <laughs> Oh, you brought the title into it. There we go. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hello. Hello, Jake. Oh my god. <laughs> I didn't realize you'd go so hard so fast. Uh-huh. Oh. Where have you been this week? Uh, uh, uh. Um, I saw Dracula. Did you? Wesley did it. Wesley? <laughs> Wesley did Vesley. Dracula. Yeah, the, right. the middle school did. I don't oh know what that god. makes. Does it make them year nine? What's middle school? I think middle school, well, middle school at my school was year seven and eight. Okay. So it, I think it just varies. But yeah, around that sort of age. Okay. Um, yeah, well, Hayley McNally and Peter Russell directed it. Cute. Yeah, so, yeah, Dracula occurred. How familiar are you with Dracula? Not the person. No, because I'm very familiar with the person. Exactly, so um, bore me with that story. I'm familiar with, I've read half of the original book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then beyond that, I'm familiar with, like, various interpretations of the story. Oh, so you know the plot. Like, I know enough. Of it. I know that it's this guy who comes... I won't go into the plot now, but yes. Yes, I do know <laughs> oh, the story. Oh, that's because I have no idea. I just, until you know the story, it's like, it's like it's not what you think it would be. Well, it's like, I didn't even... like I, My whole life I've been like, okay, Dracula is a vampire. Mm. And he, the, Dracula is a book about Dracula. Yeah. I assume there was some sort of extended universe where he existed. Yeah, but no, it's more like, I'm an accountant. And I'm going to go to the Dracula's castle. Yes, I think he's a funny man. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, so it was, a, it was a nice way to experience Dracula for the first time with sure. a bunch of children telling me the story. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm so excited to hear. Um, yeah, so I went to Dracula. I was almost late because I was crying on the phone. I don't know why, I, I, don't know why I feel the need to share so much what with, this, crying about? with this podcast. I, <laughs> I do not want to get into the Tell detail. Tell why you were crying. I, <laughs> no, but it was, fully, it was me on the phone to Dominic. Just weep. I can't talk about Openly it. Openly weeping. <laughs> Okay, great. <laughs> it was great. just so sad. Just a bunch of stuff happened. But okay. I... So I was like, no, Dominic... It was... I was like, Dominic, I don't think I can go to Dracula. No! I think I'm too sad. Oh, and, then, and then Dominic was like, that doesn't sound like you, Jake. Oh. <laughs> I was like, Dominic, you're right. Dominic! I'm gonna go to Dracula. Dominic, if you're listening, you're a goddamn angel. Okay. And I'm really glad I went to Dracula. Um, I got there. Um, Were you seeing it alone? I was seeing it you alone. You were crying with someone <laughs> standing next to you. 
This is the worst date ever. <laughs> um, got to Dracula. I had to do a really sort of like demeaning, crappy run to get there on time. <laughs> really stupid. Which I didn't even need to do. I had like seven minutes of sitting in the audience waiting for the show to start. That's even though I got there thing. pretty much dead on time. Mm. Yeah, no. So I got there. I had like three different children <laughs> direct me to where my seat was. Because they're like doubling as ushers. Do they tell you it was after C? Your row? Do they tell you which row it was? Um, so I was in double B. I would be confused by that. Thank you. See, these are yeah. the things. When the double letters come in, that's confusing. That's, but I got there, like, immediately flummoxed. Um, and then, like, this, like, handsome teacher-like figure was like, are you here to see Dracula? I was like, I absolutely am here to see Dracula. <laughs> and then he sort of, like, pointed me in the direction of just two lost-looking children in school uniform that then directed me to different school children who directed oh, me to a like third a chain of... It was like, go talk to them. Go talk to them. And like, then lighting actually... the pyres of Gondor. Oh, my God. And then children. I had to, like, while holding my, like, little phone ticket, I had to, like, bother, like, the last of the parade of children I had to experience. <laughs> and just like, where am I going, little boy? <laughs> and then he was like, oh, just over there. So I'm in the front row, of course. Of course. <laughs> Did you book the front row? I, I didn't remember booking the front row. Where you always book the front row. Yes, but for some reason I don't expect it to happen. Okay. <laughs> but so yeah, then I went and sat in the front row. I'm alone, as always happens. I thought even because I was getting there pretty much on time, I figured I'd have like kind of oh my God, company. It was just there. you in the front row. It was me, so it was like there's an aisle down the middle, and on the left side there were like two people sitting in the front row on that side. But I was on the right of the aisle and I was alone in the front row. And uh-huh. it wasn't even just alone in the front row. There were three rows behind me that were mostly empty. Oh. So it's like there's this sea of like families mm. that should what, be there. What sort of nice. <laughs> and then in the front, hello, I'm here to see some theatre. Oh, like vampires. Yeah. So I'm just sitting there alone. So do you um, know any of these children? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. Everyone clear the first three rows. Um, yeah, but no, but then this fortunate thing happened where, like, the show felt like it was just about to start, and then this, like, I just see in my periphery, like, oh, there's, like, two people coming to sort of, like, sit near me, and then one of them's like, Jake! And I was like, oh. what's happening? What? <laughs> it's like, um, yeah, and then it, it was, it, my pal Olive was there, so oh, she, then great name. Great name, mm. great lady, and she had seen me sitting in the front row alone, and was like, oh. are you by yourself? We'll come and sit with you, which was oh. kind of her, and makes it look a lot less suspicious. Yes. So, <laughs> It was good to have her there. Um, but yeah, so sat down and then Dracula began. Um, and the first thing we see is Dracula. Oh, obsessed. So <laughs> No, I just want to quickly premise this. I, I can see the program in Jake's hands. Mm-hmm. And the front cover is a picture of the, the titular Dracula, I yes. assume. No teeth. No sharp teeth. Just um, a normal mouthful of teeth. I don't remember if he had spiky chompers. He had very good diction. So I, I don't think they stuffed anything pointy in his mouth. Okay. Okay. Is my guess. Yeah, it was played by Magnus Kath Fawcett. Magnus, great name. Great fucking name. Mm. Has a mullet. <gasps> and I, I didn't realize that I needed to see like a middle school mullet, mullet having dra- Dracula. Oh, it was that's incredible. And it's like, that's not even the most amazing thing he did. His Dracula accent, his Draxent was so good. Do you mean impression? Oh my God. Literally, it was like, from the get, and it was like, it's as if he was raised by vampires. <laughs> it was so good. It was like, ah, welcome to Transylvania. It's like, that shit, yes. Like, what? <laughs> like, they could have gone subtle. They went the other direction. <laughs> Always go the other direction. Always That's go. so good. So fucking good. Oh my and it's God. like, a lot of what he had to do was like delivering sort of like longish monologues from up on this balcony in the center of like, there was this like risen platform that had this like 
stone looking door that he could just pop out of at any oh. moment and be like ah <laughs> I have a plan see I can't even do it I, I yeah, am Dracula yeah it was just like oh my god I'm wonderful like, so fucking good. good but then yeah no so he was immaculate but yeah then can, and then yeah it was me experiencing the story of Dracula for the first time which as you began to describe it's like this nerd who mm-hmm. reminded me of like Seymour from Little Shop of Horrors yep absolutely is trying to help Dracula find a new house yeah, I think Dracula wants to buy a house in London, doesn't he? Yes, and he wants to move to London, which is a strange place to start the plot. <laughs> but, like, it's interesting because this is it was written in a time when stories were told differently. Yeah. Like, it was just, they had different problems. And this is, like, I think Dracula is, Bram Stoker's Dracula is one of the first, like, considered to be the first modern novel. Sure. Okay, interesting. Like, like it's very much the start. Right. So, like, it is, it is because it is literally... I'm actually a real estate agent. <laughs> Hello, you've got sharp teeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they need that, I guess this isn't probably for the reasons that you just described, but it's like, oh, so this is kind of meant to be our sort of like insert person yeah. to sort of imagine that it's us as them experiencing learning who Dracula is. The biggest shock in Dracula is that Van Helsing is not a sexy Hugh Jackman type. It's an old man. It's an old... Oh! Mm. And that's a... Wait, that's a shock that's in the book? In the book, Van Helsing like, like is so hot. professor. Oh, but in the movie Van Helsing, it's Hugh Jackman. Oh, right, and which was an incredible movie. That Kate we don't Beckinsale. Talk about yes, 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 yes. That movie was so fucking good. So good. I need to watch it again. Too it was bad. Just... <laughs> so sad. That's the thing. It was everything that oh. it promised to be in the trailer and everything. Yes, and it was also it seemed to know exactly what its key demographic wanted from it. Just shooty, rooty, point and booty. Shooty, rooty, point and booty. Shooty, rooty, shooty. <laughs> Rooty tooty point and shooty is what I meant to say. Um, is that a term? Fun fact about Van Helsing. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, it's the first movie that I remember my parents watching on DVD. It was the first DVD in my house. Oh, huge. And they paused it. And it was so alien because they paused it and it was just still. I and I remember this. I remember exactly the scene it was. It was, it was Hugh Jackman in a forest looking mm. up and it was completely still and it didn't have any VHS flickering or anything. That's incredible. It was bizarre. That's, that, I remember having that, I don't remember what movie it was, but I remember, I remember the experience. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. That's my fun fact. Oh God, about what's your favourite Hugh Jackman movie? Van Helsing. Yeah? Hands down Van Helsing. I love Van Helsing. God. Because who plays Dracula in that? Oh, it's like I, some old. It's some guy. I've just recast him as the guy that plays like the head of the Volturi in Twilight. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 100%. That's all I've, I've just oh, yeah, um, him in. Oh, he's like that British guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, like, Michael Sheen. Michael Sheen. Michael Sheen. I've just decided it's oh, Michael Sheen. Michael Sheen is. Oh, let's talk about Michael Sheen. Is I just feel like now thinking about it, did Hugh Jackman just do all the movies that Brendan Fraser would have done if Brendan Fraser kept phrasing? Brendan Fraser should have been Van Helsing. Let's be real. Yeah. Um, and I think that was part of the. But Van Helsing flopped. It but did. It absolutely failed. And yeah. I cannot remember why. I think something else came out at the same sort of time. I just think maybe people overestimate how much people really give a fuck about like gritty dr- like vampire movies. Because it happens mm. every single time. And it's like yeah. the most successful one would debatably be like the Underworld franchise. And even that's not very successful. Exactly. Blade. Was... Blade was a good one. Blade was a good vampire And that was series. a... Like a people... It was relatively successful. Okay. Mind you, they're doing Blade again soon. At last? In, in, the, in MCU canon. Oh, good. Yes, doll. Let oh. me get talking about it, the That's MCU. Right. Are they so bringing you... back the old cast? Or are they taking another actor that I it's love? A, it's another actor. Um, oh, God, I can't remember the actor it is. But I, I imagine... Because who was the original Blade? Oh, what's his face? Wesley Snipes? Wesley Snipes, it was. I, I imagine Wesley Snipes will have a cameo or something. Mm. Oh, which Michael Sheen in 30 Rock makes the excellent point that Wesley Snipes sounds like an uppity British person. 
Who's playing Machine Gun Thirty Rock? He plays that guy that Liz Lemon. It's like they're settling soulmates. They're like, we hate each other. Oh, but that's right. We're the best we can do. Yeah, and he's just the worst. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, All right. Yes. Wesley. Um, what was I saying? You, yes. you went to Wesley to oh, see Dracula. Wesley. Yes. Oh. Uh, uh, Wesley, oh my god! It's all coming together. Um, what were we saying? Yes. Uh, um, the plot of Dracula. <laughs> yes. Van Helsing was an old man, not Hugh Jackman. Yes, and we need to talk. Should we talk about Van Helsing right now? Um, not quite. Let's keep talking about the plot of Dracula. So then, the real estate agent from Little Shop of Horrors mm-hmm. helps Dracula find a new house in a new country. Good for him. Yes, and the whole time he's sort of like. I think this guy might be a bit of a weird guy. Bit of a weird guy. Bit of a weird guy yes. who likes to drink blood, I guess. And like, he's already a count. Like, <laughs> and also the entire village is like, oh, he's an evil blood-sucking monster. <laughs> Maybe don't go there. And the accountant is just sort of like, oh, it's fine. The horse and carriage won't drive me the whole way, but that seems normal. Which is sweet. Yeah, no, but I'm thinking like, someone. I was listening to like, for some reason, listening to this... These girls talk about Twilight for some reason, okay. in in some sort of sense, and uh, they were talking about how oh, how could you not have realized there were vampires sooner? Like what? And I was like, why would you ever think they're, they're vampires? vampires? <laughs> <laughs> like it would take me more than a Google search and a weird forest confrontation to be like, you're a vampire. Around my first you. thought would be like, you have a disease, you have something wrong with you. Yes. Oh, you're just like pale and strange. Like I'm never, I'm not mm. gonna jump to vampire unless you hold my hand and say, Jake. I have something to tell you. And then you prove to me that you're a vampire. How could you outrun me? What? Oh, fuck. I'm trying to quote Twilight, but I got it wrong. How could you outrun me? Are you suggesting there's a scene in Twilight where they try to have a race? <laughs> no, he's like, he's like, could you could you run faster than me? To, to Bella? Okay, listeners, back me up. Comment on this video and somehow... You think there's a scene where Edward turns to Bella and is like, I'm a faster runner than you? Yes. There is... I found the line. Mm-hmm. Edward Cullen. I'm the world's most dangerous predator. Everything about me invites you in. My voice, my face, even my smell. As if I need any of that. As if you could outrun me. Oh! So it's less of an athletic boast and it's more of a, I'll catch you. Yep. That's terrifying. Isn't it? Yeah. Oh, good job, Stephanie Meyer. Good job. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll hit that one on the head. (laughs) Um, Dracula. (laughs) So then he moves there and then has this like sex palace. Mm Mm-hmm. And then... Wait, you don't mean he's moved to London? He moves. So this is what Jack... This is where I, my knowledge of the story gets a little foggy. And this is where I'm sure they made some different choices because it was a high school adaptation. Yeah. But yeah. So then what happens is... So something that happened, and it seems to happen every time I see a show at Wesley, is the people around me whisper really fantastic feedback about the show as it's happening. Oh, amazing. And something... And it always comes at the exact same time that I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> Because remember when during Cloud Street, that person was like, it just yeah. keeps going. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's like, you're right, stranger. You're right. Um, so this time, it was probably like maybe half an hour into the show. <laughs> and the person near to me goes, there's so many people in it. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch, you're right. Because it was the sort of thing where it's like, I, it, it just sort of kept presenting new characters to Amazing. you in this way that felt very sprawling and exciting. Right. It was like, okay, real estate agent. Okay, Dracula. Okay, townspeople. Okay, these other three people that are sort of friends. Okay, the people on the land have seen a shipwreck. Okay, now we're on the ship. Oh, Meeting the, the ship, people yes. on the ship. Yes. That's right. And it's like, you don't and where stop- does Nina come into it? Or Mina? Mina. Um, yeah, Mina, because Mina is the wife of the real estate agent. Jonathan Harkness. Yeah, Harker. Harker? Right? Harkness. Jonathan Harker. Harker. It is Harker, yeah. His his wife is Mina, and he... Meaner than him? Ugh. (laughs) Not possible. Meaner than her. (laughs) 
<laughs> what a bitch. <laughs> He's the meanest real estate agent in town. <laughs> um, uh. Yeah, no, and she's worried because she hasn't heard from Jonathan for a while. Yes. Because he has been, like... Ch- Locked away doing real estate agent things. <laughs> it's kept very vague and weird because they're children. But it seems like he's kept as almost like, like a, like a, I don't know what the word would be. Sex prisoner? Almost like a sex prisoner, but again, they're children. So it's not framed as it being a sex thing. But there is this interesting thing where it's like, so obviously Dracula decides to keep Jonathan in his new sex palace, not sex palace. Sex palace. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to level and double down on sex palace. Um, in, his, in his new fancy house and keeps him there so that he can like feed him sort of into perpetuity to this gaggle of sort of yes, like right. witch girls that live there. Dracula's wives. Is that who they Too are? Too bad. So sad. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yep, yep, yes. Yep, yep. No. Because they were fantastic. The way that oh, these, yeah? these girls, whenever like they were required, <laughs> they would sort of like slither out of the shadows oh. from underneath this quite beautiful set. And they, it's amazing. It seems like this thing, it seems like we somehow... I mean, I guess this is kind of the essence of what a stock character is. But somehow, even in these middle school mm. girls, there seems to be these characters that we all are able to portray the moment someone tells us to do it. <laughs> and I think one version of that character is like, oh, you know, like a, like a, like a whispery, trampy corset woman. Oh, corset woman. You know, yes. And Les Mis has corset women. And everyone just yep. has that ready to go. And so yep. you could almost just like do that type of thing. And somehow every person, I'd say, has a version of like, oh, <laughs> yes, Dracula. Oh, my sexy Dracula husband. Absolutely Dracula. Yeah, they're all in the Dracula. <laughs> and just sort of like waving their arms around in the smoke. And just yes. like, oh. <laughs> Are they all wearing like wispy sort of. Wispy sort of kind things. of like, almost like background characters in the bar scene in Oliver. Yes, yes. That kind of feeling. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's that. I guess I want to... Let's take a sidestep from the plot, because it barely exists. It's just... Actually, it, it exists a lot. There's too much a, of it. Maybe this adaptation... Or maybe I just didn't internalise a lot because I was just enjoying the ride that I was on. Mm. Um, rather than be accurate, I'll just talk about what I remember the plot being. Okay, <laughs> that sounds good. Okay. <laughs> I'm ready. So, like, <laughs> Dracula gets his new house. At the same time, there's a shipwreck that happens. And this shipwreck gets investigated by a doctor... A doctor's lesbian friend, mm-hmm. and they investigate this shipwreck. Was it just a woman in man's clothes? No, it was a woman who had a Texan accent. Oh. Who I feel like in the original text was a man, but they made it into a lesbian. Yes, well, it would have been a man, wouldn't it? I suppose. Yeah. And he was Southern, and there was a doctor, I think, who helped with this, but they investigated this shipwreck, and the shipwreck ended up having some sort of vampire stuff on it. Um, Wasn't Dracula on the ship? I think Dracula's like remains were on the ship. Because he's buried in the dirt of his homeland. Isn't yes. He? So I think they tr- were transporting the dirt. They were transporting the dirt because the vampire needs to be near his dirt. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Dracula need them. Draculas. They needs their dirt. They needs their dirt. Mm. Which. Honestly, maybe it's time to talk about Sam Romney. <laughs> I guess it is. <laughs> I can hear you all at home agreeing with me. Yes. Oh, I've been waiting for a long um, time. Sam Romney plays Van Helsing. <gasps> His entry, flawless. <laughs> what is it? The classic move of <laughs> entering from the right <laughs> and falling immediately to the ground in like a buffoonish, like, oh, I'm so enthusiastic and worried and flabbergasted. Oh, heaven. Any- heaven. Literally, if you're nervous about going to a party, that's how you should enter a party. Fall down. Just immediately fall on your face and then build up from there. Tension done. Tension yeah. over. It's done. Yep. Because no one's intimidated and you are building from there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you were on the ground moments ago. <laughs> I'm just glad you're, you're okay. You're only going up from here. 
All right, so he's clomped onto the he's floor. He's clomped on in. It very quickly gets established that he is Dr. Van Helsing. Because he has to be there because a couple of the women have fallen prey to some sort of mysterious, seemingly blood-borne thing that's happening. And they have these strange bite marks. <laughs> it's like, what could possibly be going on? What is that? And so Van Helsing's been wheeled in because he's the expert in mysterious... Bite mark. Bite mark. Isn't he like a fully aware of vampires person? So that's the thing. So then what then proceeds to happen is Sam Romney blows my damn mind. Because uh-huh. not only is he a really terrific actor to the mm. point where it's like you could almost just wheel him onto like a home and away set immediately. Oh, great. He's like... Home he's and away? Him... Yeah. The okay. pinnacle of Australian television. Sure, we have different ideas. <laughs> um, in the way that he's tasked the, the, like with the very... Uh, oh my God. High stakes job in this show of conveying all of the rules of, of vampires. vampires. Like, <laughs> yes, there's always like, got to be someone. If he misspeaks, the whole show the mythology changes. It just collapses on him. Like, <laughs> if he the wrong night is like they love garlic. Fuck, <laughs> <laughs> wait. <laughs> Everything comes to pieces. <laughs> and then the act of a dragon is like, I guess I'm not dying this yeah. time. <laughs> and then Dracula wins. <laughs> if he doesn't mention how stakes work. That's the sequel. <laughs> Dracula wins. <laughs> um, yeah, no, Sam just fucking nailed it. Great. And he just had this like elegant accent. And it was like, I just trusted him with my life. He was really, really good. Great. And then was he was really, really great at like driving scenes and just being very assertive. He just really impressed me. But yeah, so he was in charge of conveying shit like, yeah, like vampires need their dirt and stuff. And they and you kill them with steaks and they don't like garlic and all these very important vampiric things. And people would come at him, like almost to a point that I was annoyed by it. People would be like, but what about this? What about this loophole? What about this other thing? And he'd be like, no. <laughs> no, not at all. No, I'm Van Helsing. Yes, Lucy, you dumb idiot. That's not how it works, man. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Great. Sounds incredible. Really fucking good. But then, yeah. And so... Less saw blades and crossbows. Um, yeah, not, not as Hugh Jackman as it oh, could have been, okay. but it was, it was nice in the way that it was just kind of like a, oh, well, look, it's a, it's a, like a reliable substitute teacher that's, sure. like, you know, wearing a blazer. Sure. You yeah, know? no, I trust that. Um, yeah, no, but across the board, it was like an impressive time. Um, I think it's certainly worth, oh my God, who was it? I, she almost felt like she existed in a different show because she was so fucking good. Mm. Um, Imogen Weeks. Imogen Weeks. Imogen Weeks plays a character who I barely understood the function of. Which is not her fault. <laughs> it's a character called Renfield. Do you remember Renfield existing? Like, it rings a vague bell, but I, I couldn't tell you. So Renfield is a crazy person, who I think in the text is a man, because of pronouns that got used. Um, but yeah, Imogen Weeks plays Renfield, who is seemingly, like, it's a crazy guy in an asylum who can, like, see, I think, either can see Dracula's house, or can see the ocean, or it's like... He's just kind of a crazy guy who doesn't seem to have anything to do with the plot happening. Okay. Um, but is there and kind of sometimes says ominous things. He's like a narrator sort of. Not even character. a narrator. No, because no, it, it just in the. It's just. Don't get so defensive. <laughs> Back off, James. No, it's just kind of odd. And then gets out of the asylum by just sort of like making a good case for his sanity uh-huh. <laughs> which is not how one should run an asylum I think they were different back then they were different it's like oh that's a pretty solid argument you put up there yep, crazy pants yes. <laughs> you're a woman get in here <laughs> yeah so then uh, then gets out of the asylum and then I think from memory gets killed by Dracula <laughs> um, but, okay. but it was just like in every scene and a lot of it was just monologues sitting in this asylum um but Imogen Weeks was mind-blowing. Oh my god, It was great. like, she'd just sit there and have this nonsense to say about like, Oh, I want a kitten. Oh, I love kittens. Oh, I'm crazy. I eat flies. But it was like, this is remarkable. It was the sort of thing where it's like, it felt like suddenly we were watching just a different production that needed applause. <laughs> it was like, 
it was, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I'm excited to see what she turns into because she's already such a, like, yeah, a really, really intense, wonderful actor. Oh, great. So, yeah, that's, it's, it's great that she's gravitating towards making theatre because that's where it seems like she belongs. <laughs> um, but yeah, but otherwise, yeah, just sort of eventuates in Dracula re- wreaking havoc. Um, and yeah, Magnus doing it really, really well. With a mullet. And, and really managing to, I feel like it would be difficult to be like lit in like intense red light mm. and then have to, with a Transylvanian accent, say things like, come to me, Lucy. Are you come kidding? To- Are you kidding? I just, if you're in a red light, baby, you can do anything. Really? Like, I... Anything. In a red light? No. I think all I could do was, like, a decent number from Chicago. Otherwise... You? Mm. (laughs) What? No, nothing. You don't think I could do it? I'd pay to see that. I'd do a a really good Velma, I think. (laughs) Velma? Velma. I hardly know her. Um, (laughs) Red light's great. Red light's incredible. Red light is healing. Sure. Mm. Yeah. No, he's just... I'd say him... Yeah. Just... I, I guess it sort of... It illuminates the thing inside of me as a performer, I suppose, that I think that level of the deep character work. Mm. I, and it's a ridiculous character. It's a ridiculous character. And I think maybe I don't, uh, that's not a depth of myself I'm willing to plunder. <laughs> no, no, but you, you, I feel like you gravitate more towards, I feel like you gravitate more towards like, um, real, like real interpretations of people and like, like more realistic characters and like almost a kitchen sink drama sort of Maybe just when I'm the one doing it. I feel like watching this really made me want to do something, maybe not Dracula itself, but like something spooky. (laughs) Jake, if you do something spooky, oh, I want to do something spooky. Let's do something spooky. Absolutely. Like even just like in the opening moments of it where it was like, this big gothic architecture and like all this smoke and just the idea of there being like witches around the corner oh. and the idea of people being like, oh, there's a spooky man in that house. And it's like, why aren't we all just telling these stories all the time? I've got a spooky idea to share with you after this recording session. Oh my God, do you want to tell me? Oh, you don't want to do it? No, because someone might steal my idea. Oh, because it's that good. Uh-huh. Oh my God. <laughs> um, I guess while talking about the architecture, I'm just going to mention that Harry Gill did the set design um, and it's, it's, yeah, worthy of applause. It was like, looks solid. Looks solid. Oh, based on the photos, it looks solid. Yeah, yeah, I saw the photos, guys. Yeah, yeah. No, just, oh my god, yes. Giving Dracula a door to pop out of. Genius. 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 Like a cuckoo clock. Like a cuckoo clock. Evil cuckoo clock. Oh my god. There was a moment where one of the kids, the guy playing, oh, I'll get his name out because he deserves some attention for this, Mm -hmm. where one of the guy playing Little Shop of Horrors accountant, Jonathan Harker, uh, so Sam Faso was playing him. Mm -hmm. This moment happened where he sat on a chair and one of the vampire women pushed him too hard and the chair fell back. <laughs> was that meant to happen? No, and he just <laughs> he wrote it like a champion. Good so, yeah, no, and that's the thing. Kids building this sort of resilience and having this sort of wisdom built into their bodies. Hey. There are some really talented artists coming up. Kids seem to be knocked around more, you're right. I shove children whenever I can. And that's just what I'm doing for the arts. That was Jake Stewart, everybody. That was not me. Hi, Jake. Hello, James. Um, I went to the Malthouse Theatre. <laughs> oh, good. Again. Yeah, fuck. I love that Malthouse Theatre. Do I'll you? tell you what, I love it. Yeah. I loves it, I loves it, I loves it. I what do you love about it so much? I don't know. I think I just love the spaces themselves. And I think I'm genuine, generally pretty confident with the work that they do there. Oh, that's good. I, I, yeah, I really like it. Anywho, yeah. <laughs> um, this is my story of why I go to the Malthouse Theatre. Yeah, good. Um, anywho, I saw Maureen. The Harb- no, James. I keep saying the harbinger of death. It's not. It's just Maureen. Harbinger of Death. Great. And I saw that. Yeah. And I loved that. Great. 
This has been Praise Diamonds. <laughs> um, we are out of time. Um, great. Yep. So Walk saw... me through it. What happened? No. No. Um, <laughs> so Johnny Hawkins, they were the one, they wrote the show. Great. They also performed the show. I love Johnny Hawkins so much. Oh, do you love Johnny Hawkins? I love Johnny Hawkins. Not to cut in immediately. No, please do. I have a brief history with Johnny Hawkins just in the way that, uh, you know that incest play that I wrote? Yes, Fraternal. It's called Fraternal. Um, I was writing it and developing it while I was at NIDA. Mm. And... They were part of the um, like the, the staged reading of an extract from the play. Oh, get out of town! And so it meant that there was like a sort of like a month or so where Johnny and I and the rest of the cast, you know, like became pals and mm. you know talked about the story. Oh my god! And yeah, yeah, that'd be so nice because so, they seem like a very genuinely lovely person. Yeah. Oh my god! The sort of person that like walks into a room and immediately it's like. What a, what a, like a radiant beast of a human. Yeah, well, I was, yeah, because I was lucky enough to meet them at the end of the show. Mm. Um, I hung around or, you know, when you awkwardly wait until they're not busy with their friends. Because, because I was just like a person that wanted to sort of have a chat. And oh, that's meet. nice. Yeah. Sure. Um, and then, um, so I was just waiting for them. And there was a sort of person that was just getting swamped with friends and mm. fans and people that seem to very genuinely love and care about them. That's so, so nice. Yeah, I don't think much about them has changed from that. So good Oh, good. Them. Yeah. Hasn't turned into a villain. Not yet. Mm, as much as I love that transformation. Well, it's the transformation that you've gone on many times. Many times? Yeah, you're a villain a couple times, many times over. Excuse me? Oh, you, God, you I think I've ping pong? Didn't what, I? I don't know, did you? I don't know what you're trying to say. That I'm I've... trying to sound snarky and rude, but I just sounded confused. By telling me that I've ping ponged between being what? A damsel and a villain? Yeah. In what sense is that true? Or are you just trying to hurt my feelings? I'm trying, uh, mainly trying to hurt your feelings. Oh, thank you, James. That's okay. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah. um, uh, co-created with director Nell Rennie, mm-hmm. um, and the set and costumes by Isabel Hudson. I say set and costumes now because we walk in. Mm-hmm. Saw this with my housemate, so I wasn't alone this time. Great. Which housemate? Uh, Iona. The witch housemate! <laughs> Um, Iona. Yes. Uh, she is the, the one that is like a volunteer. No, I don't know. Volunteer. I know who Iona stuff. is. Yeah, you yes. know who Iona is. Um, any... <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. No, no. Describe her hobbies. <laughs> Football. <laughs> her car got rear-ended the other day. Her car got rear-ended yeah, while she was like in it? Yeah, while she was in it. Oh, really. was she okay? She, oh, she's, she's fine. Her, her head just didn't roll off. <laughs> her head just exploded. <laughs> um, no, yeah, poor thing. Mm. Anywho, mm. Um, moving on. Um, so we, went, we sat down. Yeah. The set is... This large curtain, huge. So, so as a premise, just to explain, the whole premise of the show is we're there to have a conversation with Maureen, mm-hmm. who is this this old dame that we know, and we're in her living room as a guest, and she's there to just sort of have, go on one of her rants and talk about things. Mm-hmm. Um, so the set is is the whole thing is this curtain, the, the sort of curtain that you see in old women's homes. Okay, like it's this paisley garish sort of material that comes down onto the floor and then drapes over the floor like all the way across so mm. it's, the whole thing is this one sheet of material beautiful uh, with this little chair sitting next to this little table and the chair's got the same material all over it mm-hmm. and um that just really sets the scene of like we've all been in this living room yeah um, so so we come along and out comes Johnny Mm-hmm. Um, and Johnny speaks about the show and the work and what it means to them and why they've done it, um, and, and it sort of explains up, quite up front that it's sort of a love letter to these, all these incredible women that they've known in their life, mm-hmm. and um, how it's an amalgamation of all these different people that they've known. And but it's mostly about Maureen, who was a real person, mm-hmm. uh, lived in Sydney, and um, yeah, and just sort of very. It was just, there was something about the way Johnny sort of just comes out and just talks to us Mm. and then goes to the table, puts on the lipstick, very slowly 
picks up the uh, gown sort of skirt undercarriage thing, which was on the chair and is the exact same material as the rest of the set. Mm. And then just sits down in this chair. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, you're Maureen now. Oh, wow. <laughs> you just immediately become Maureen. Harbinger of death. Yeah. Um, and so the whole show, yeah, it's a love letter to these old, I want to say the word batty, but I feel like it's mean, um, camp women. Mm-hmm. That just, for some reason, we as queer people do gravitate towards. Mm. Um, and it immediately struck me that I know, knew a Maureen that was just like this Maureen. She was the Maureen, Ed and Maureen were a husband and wife that ran... Track Youth Theatre Company. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a little track youth, like, youth theatre group that I did when I was a wee-in. And they were the ones that ran it. Ed was an actor of old, and so was Maureen. She was also a dancer. And she'd always be out the back with, like, a cigarette and a coffee and, like, keeping charge of all the costumes. And, you know, these sorts of women that are just the absolute linchpins of so much of the theatre world. Mm. Um, So it was just immediately, it was immediately, oh my god, I'm about to watch just Maureen do a show. Yeah. And that's what it felt like. It felt like being invited into this living room and just being spoken at for for a long time by this woman who's slowly just, I don't know, throughout the show, very clearly starting to lose it. Mm. And it it was equal parts very comforting and warming and also just devastating watching watching her sort of have these moments of sort of not knowing where she is and not knowing what's going on um audience participation though oh how much enough enough in what sense so (laughs) they did it really well i will say great um it was sort of the thing johnny first of all absolute charisma charisma up the wazoo like just slinks onto the seat and is the, the sort of person that picks up her, her little prop cigarette and sort of just holds it out to someone in the audience and waits for them to just get up, come over and light it for her. Oh, wow. Like that sort of, and, and that happened multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the one bit of audience participation that I did not appreciate, <laughs> which was the spine of the show, yeah. was this little book. And I... More, I, I don't know if you want to do your little edit later on where you use thunderclouds to tell people that I can't say this, but the show's premise is Maureen, through some magic, some prowess, I don't know what it is, she can just sort of predict when people are going to die. Okay. She just knows that. And she's written it all down in this book. Mm-hmm. And she's written down, she's got all these names of all her friends and all these people and when they have died yeah. in the past. And so she passes, gives the book to the audience and it goes around. So it's being passed person to person. And every now and again she'll end whatever she's talking about and go, who's got that book now? And then whoever has the book is like, oh, it's me. And she'll be like, read a name from the book. And so you'd read a name from this book and then she'll just go on a monologue about that character that you've read from the book. Okay. And it's like a really great device, but it does mean that this book is being handed around the audience like a ticking time bomb. Yeah. And we're all just sort of, oh God, oh God, oh God. Oh God, okay. Yeah, but all you're expected to do is just read a name Just read a name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So once that was established, it was sort of like, okay, that's not so bad. Okay, that's handleable. And there was less, there was no like back and forth. Mm -hmm. Um, However, there were like one or two people who'd hold on to the book like, oh, this name's interesting. Oh, what's what's this name? Like they were very wanting to be called waiting on. to be called on. Oh, but luckily, none of them got called on. Good, good. <laughs> they don't deserve it. Who are these people? People that want attention, Jake. Oh, I don't understand these people. Yeah, yeah, they're out there. Okay. Yeah, and then Johnny just proceeds to give this very heartfelt one-person show the whole time of stories of oh god like i don't even know how to describe the show i bought the script i love that's how much i love this show mm. um all these sort of celebrating the mundane like these sort of 
this woman that walks down the street and she's just found beautiful and and, and sort of just goes, describes that and like her life growing up with her friends and the gays when they were growing up. And I don't know, Jake, it was just so gorgeous. Mm. It's everything I want in a show. It is a camp old woman with a cigarette, mm. like just shouting at us about the glory days of her life. Sure. It was so gorgeous. Um, and I think one of my favorite bits about the show is just... It was mundane. It was just, you know, Maureen. Mm. But it was given this sort of mythological reverence. Um, when she went into her sort of um, spiels of... I, I want to say dementia, but I, 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 I don't know if that's what, what it was meant to be. But like sort of... It sort of felt like almost like an oracle sort of you know, predicting the future to us. And mm. it felt... It felt vaguely religious. It it was all these things that I just feel I really I I've had a good week of seeing shows. Yeah, great. Like it was really, yeah. Um, and I don't know how mu- I don't know how much of it was stuff that the Maureen that they knew actually said to them, mm. and how much of it was them sort of embellishing. But it was just yeah, it really sort of made me think about all all these women in my life and just about their lives and like the Maureen that I knew and like her upbringing and the way that she must have lived and the story she must have had to tell. Hmm. Um, and I don't know, it made me feel really... I don't want to get soppy, but it made me feel really connected to just people in general in the fact that, like, everyone could sit down and... And it's like you've said before, like, if we forced everyone to make a cabaret. Hmm. Like, it sort of felt like everyone has stories that they desperately want to tell and want people to know. Hmm. And there is a way to tell those stories that they sound incredible. Like, there always is. Like, sure. You, yeah, and I think Johnny is just... Yeah, like I said, it's just such a such a uh, master of that craft. That's wonderful. That's mm. great. Um, yeah, there's certainly that's such an interesting, a really interesting way to pay tribute to a person or mm. to acknowledge a person that that type of performance. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, and even the things you've been saying about the way that theatre is so capable of elevating the mundane yeah. is certainly something that I love about it so much Mm. because I think even to do the very basic comparison from like theater to film, it's like the way that cinema deals with the sort of mundanity you're talking about is so different to the way that theater handles it in the way that it's like to to put it in simple terms that I'm just sort of piecing together now. It's like to make a movie about little tiny moments and things that are just sort of like unremarkable moments in an unremarkable life for a film to do that. That's almost a genre in itself that is kind of, Kind of like the lower end of cinema's capacity in some sort of way. Maybe I'm speaking wrong. Um, <laughs> but but that kind of almost exists in kind of like an underappreciated genre of film. Mm. Whereas theatre is so capable of taking mundanity and blowing it up in the, in the way that it sounds like Johnny has. Mm. But in, in so many other ways as well. Like to, to platform intricate moments of a life on stage is such... Because given what I consider sort of theatre to be, it can turn things as small as these moments in a woman's mind yeah. into such a such an elevated, accessible, shared experience for a group of people in a room mm. that that is so it's almost like the foundations of storytelling and and makes it something so beautiful. And I think telling stories like this about people and about the small things that make them up Small, of course, only in the way that w- the, yeah. the, the size that we perceive them as to be, as people that are not them, is yeah, such an such an exciting celebration of the human experience. Um, and yeah, any any theatre that that is is you know stoking the fires of appreciating 
the fact of all of our lives being like relatively similar in the way that the human experience is like, there's only so many ways to, to be a person. Yeah. It just has like a really beautiful show that he's... it was so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was so simple too. Mm. I couldn't, I didn't look away from them once. Mm. Like, Oh my God. Um, great hugger too. That's good. Just thought I might put that. Good on you. Good on you, Johnny. Underappreciated skill. Amazing. <laughs> great. Wow. Okay. Great. Another episode yeah, great. done. Great. Look at us. Yeah. Hey right. guys, thanks for sitting with us and listening. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, this has been, we've been praised Dionysus. We have been. Still are. Still are. Praise him. Praise him. Um, yeah. If you're doing a thing, let us know about it. Give us tickets to it. We'll come along and then we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. We'll, yeah. say, th- we'll say words. We will. Yeah. It's going to be great. <laughs> it's going to be so good. We um, have an yeah. email. We have an email. Praisedionysus at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram. Praise Dionysus. That's us. Um, yeah, one of us will get back to you, whatever you send us. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah, and yeah. <laughs> um, what else, James? Is that kind of it? Um, I guess I would just say that friends don't let friends become theatre critics. No. Also, come to five stars. If, oh, come if, to five stars. If when you're listening to this, five stars is still on at Theatre Works. I'm very much in it, and I very much like it. <laughs> I very much created it. I, yeah, yeah, and I, I, I think it'll be a good time. I'd be really interested to hear what you think about it. Mm. Um, I mean, we'll be talking about it, so come see it so you can join the conversation. Join the conversation. Oh my God, use the yeah. hashtag, um, praise Dionysus, praise him. Yep, that is a hashtag you've just thrown together. Mm-hmm. and <laughs> Made it up. <laughs> You're welcome, everyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, please come to Five Stars at Theatreworks. If it's still on by the time you hear this. Yeah. Um, yeah, friends, don't let friends become theatre critics. We probably may disagree with things we've already said in this podcast mm-hmm. people are different and changing all the time yes um life right. is fluid life is fluid the best things are fluid i love fluid oh my god any liquid will do but, oh, 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 oh.